When life throws you a curveball, how are you going to handle adversity? Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast, where you're about to go on a journey as I interview security, business, and entertainment leaders on what it takes to stay fearless. I'm your host, Mark Ludlow, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Ludlow with the Fearless Mindset Podcast, and I have a new guest, not really security-related, not really bodyguard-connected, but their family does uh, need those services time to time because of uh, um, who they are and what they do. But Sherry's on here because she's very passionate about what she does, and I'm going to tell her, let her tell the story to the audience because this will help a lot of uh, people in different industries, uh, families that have foundations, family that have the largest states. This is stuff you really need to know because you really don't understand the technicalities when someone passes away. If you don't have this uh, done by the attorneys correctly, it can really harm your family legacy. And Sherry is the expert on this on probate. I am not. <laughs> so she's on the show. Uh, just as a, uh, I wanted to bring, bring her on to tell her story of what she's been through with her own family and why she's so passionate. And she's very political now. She's worked with the lob- lobbyists in D.C. Shout out to Chris Newham, her public relations uh, consultant, and everything he's doing in the back end to have some doors open in Washington, D.C. for her. She's a very powerful lady, and she's got many things going on over in Arizona and California. So, Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, our family story started in 2009 in October. Our daughter, Michelle, had a brain aneurysm, and we were told that she probably wouldn't make it for the weekend. And so two of Brad, her twins, trustees, and her trustees, um, decided that if she passed away and Brad were to inherit her estate, which is how it was set up, that Brad would not want them to be trustees because we had some issues, trust issues, real trust issues. Right. And um, so they went out and they started out of fear of losing control of the assets and out and started uh, a war against our family, attacking my husband, me, my son, Brad. What happened was we started our legal battle in California. And within five weeks, they had filed several lawsuits against us in order to justify their position. So they threw every lie, every allegation you can imagine. Um, This is the way the trust uh, attorneys and probate attorneys operate. And so they get to go into court and lie, and you have to prove yourself innocent, which will, you know, can cost you, as it did us, tens of millions of dollars. Um, So our daughter was in ICU on life support. We start our battle fighting back. Uh, October 21st, they filed in Arizona using distant family members to uh, file as petitioners against Brad for a guardian and conservator. So they knew that if they took his freedom away, then it would justify taking over his assets. And then they kick the family out of the equation and everybody lives off of the assets, but the family, you know, it's, it's, Mm. this is the playbook. And I call it the playbook because this is what it is across the country. Every probate court operates the same way. 
They train their their attorneys to operate the same way. Lie, lie, lie to ensure your access to the the assets. So uh, the person becomes a non-person. So what happens in the probate court from the beginning of the case, the judges uh, violate the law. The judges violate your right to due process. You have no constitutional rights. The law doesn't matter. It's a free-for-all. Whatever the judge decides your rights are, that's what you get. And in our case, we just happen to be fortunate enough to not hire probate attorneys, to hire civil attorneys and civil rights attorneys. So our civil rights attorney um, started appealing every judge's order that was violating our rights and violating Brad's rights and to due process. The judges will appoint uh, an investigator, um, an attorney, try to appoint an attorney to represent you. And my son fought that saying, no, I have my own attorney. I'm going to use my own attorney. So we had a battle over that. Every step of the way, you're fighting for your rights when the judge is violating the law. And to me, I sat there and I said, what is going on here? That they don't even care what the law is. You put it in their face, you file it, you say it in court, and they continue to ignore it. Um, What happened right off the bat was people would start coming up to me outside the courtroom, inside the courtroom, saying, Mrs. Lund, we have a case in probate court. Our family's being torn apart. Our rights are being violated. The judge is doing this, he's doing that. And I said, wait a minute, this can't be happening to everybody. And so I decided to go and sit in the other hearings. And I started taking my notes and talking to my attorney saying, their rights are being violated. Everybody's rights are being violated. The laws, the statutes, everything's being violated. And so I started writing, I wanted to write a bill. And have one of our state representatives or state-led senators represent the bill. And so I did. It was very constitutionally organized and and worded to protect people's rights. And I quickly uh, hired a lobbyist and a PR firm because I figured the best way to do this would be to expose as we went along why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And what our bill says, why it's there, what we're trying to do. And then what I quickly found out was that the judges came out, fiduciary companies, attorneys, fighting everything in the bill. They did not want accountability. They did not want to have to follow the law and, and uphold your constitutional rights to due process. And so I... Uh, Adam Driggs is now a judge, but he was a lot of representative and he was sponsoring a bill for the court. And I quickly said, wait a minute, the court has no business uh, lobbying to change law to benefit themselves. So I said, let me read your bill. And I read the bill and highlighted all the sections that actually violate the law and violate people's rights. They were trying to make that a, a law, that it was okay to violate the law. It was crazy. Um, so I went to Adam Driggs. He was in our stakeholders meetings. And I said, 
you can't push this bill. You're going against your constituents' uh, rights. You should be upholding their rights and making sure that the bills that you pass uphold the constitutional rights of the people. And so he quickly came back to me and said, okay, I'll take all those sections out. Let's combine our bills and work on them together, on this together. So that's what became SB 1499, reinstating with the judges that you have the right to a trial by jury for your freedom and assets, property taken, which was completely ignored. Um, Everything in the bill was completely ignored. And we had another part of the bill we broke off, which was SB or HB 2424, which was a probate advisory panel so that the public would have um, a way to get to the legislators. So the public could come to the panel, tell them what was going on in the probate court, the violations, and then the, the panel members would go to the legislators and say, hey, we need this bill, we need this amended, we need more laws here, this is what's happening. Well, the judges and attorneys made sure that that panel never got off the ground in the legislature, which I think was horrible. The legislature has a duty to protect the public, uh, to protect the people. Yeah. So as our case went on, I noticed, and even in our case, our bill was passed in 2011, nobody followed the law. Our attorneys kept filing appeals, and it was horrific, the things that were happening. You would think that we were making this stuff up, but you couldn't make it up. Um, we finally had a trial at um, in 2016 in Arizona on an issue that should have lasted no more than six weeks, the judge said. So six years later, we had a trial, and millions of dollars later, And the immense stress that it put on my husband, my family, was horrific. Um, And you think the the courts just got greedy? Is that kind of what happens? Well, what happens is the judges, and they all work together. The judges, attorneys, fiduciaries, everybody works together. And the object of the game is to let these attorneys make as much money off of these cases as they can. But what the question I asked in 2010 was, how are the judges benefiting? They, they're not doing this for the fun of it, violating the law and violating the rights. Mm-hmm. And then we had attorneys actually coming to us and saying, the judges are getting paid off with your daughter's revocable trust money. Uh, wow. And here she is in rehab and has brain damage and... It was a nightmare. And now, what so, family were you guys representing for your uh, probate and all that? What family was that you're trying to well, salvage? Well, my my grand my my stepson and my stepdaughter, Brad and Michelle, are twins, and they're Walt Disney's grandchildren. Walt Disney. And, okay, got it. Yeah, and my husband. They're fighting over those assets. Yes. And wow, the, that must have been like in the billions of dollars, I would imagine. I don't know. Well, it was hundreds of millions, right? Wow. And so when you look at it and you see how many attorneys are billing on the trusts, and then they cut my son off thinking if we cut him off financially, then we'll win. He'll give up and we'll win. Mm. 
Mm, so gotcha. when my husband and I were paying legal fees for him, for us, for our daughters, it was just a nightmare. It's almost um, like the courts are trying to drain you guys dry and they do it deliberately. Well, and to see how even corporations like First Republic Trust Company, you, you think the trust companies who hold the assets would say, what these trustees are doing isn't right. We're not participating. Brad, we're going to go ahead and give you your income um, so you can pay your bills and pay your legal fees. But there's so much power and so much control. And when you can cut someone off and think you're going to win the ultimate war, it's a game. It, it truly is a game and it's selfless. It's, it's selfish. It's self-serving. Uh, my son, uh, well, my family, we went through such immense stress mm. that it finally took a toll on my husband and he died. His wow. heart couldn't take the stress. So he had a heart attack because of the stress. Yes. You, you can't, you know, accuse people of things they haven't done or, you know, keep doing it for, you know, 10 years, 11 years and expect people who are, you know, my husband was the most gracious, honest person I've ever met. And um, he loved his family. His family came first. And he was the protector of Brad and Michelle's trusts. So they had to get rid of him. Once you get rid of the, you know, the matriarch, uh, it's free game. And Uh, that's what they wanted to do. Did this Uh, take place in the California courts? It took, we were in Arizona courts until um, 2016, the trial um, where Brad was deemed competent after being evaluated by five doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the court kept trying to appoint doctors so they could get the, the report they wanted. You know, okay. if we can find you incompetent, we can turn everything over to these crooks. And so we would hire our own doctors. And so when they quickly realized we weren't going to play, we weren't going to accept what, what they were, what they were doing. Um, and this is what's happening in all the cases. The courts are appointing their friends of the court as doctors. These doctors get paid 2500 to 3500 for a 15-minute evaluation to find you incompetent so the judge can justify turning you, you and your estate over to strangers. What a racket. This is a pure it is, racket. It is. It is a crime syndicate. It is very well organized. It uh, everybody works together. Fiduciary companies. Well, they they fight. I I wrote two more bills with you know Senator Kavanaugh this last session. Um, hired a lobbyist PR firm. Uh, we had October thirtieth SB ten thirty eight and SB twelve ninety one became law. Uh, SB 1038 is probate advisory panel, and I've been asked to um, help appoint people to the panel so it actually takes effect this time. Uh, I've had attorneys come up and say, hey, we don't like what the, what's going on. These judges are out of control. The attorneys are out of control. We're, we're offering our services to help make a difference. It sounds so, like the justice of the, the, the very corrupt system from what this, the experience and stories you're telling the audience. Is, this is just wild to me. It's like almost like the mafia running the courts. When well, it comes it's to worse. 
it's worse because when you when you have a good attorney like ours who challenges the judges, one of our attorneys was arrested and the judge uh, threatened to arrest all of our attorneys and us, the clients, if we didn't disclose attorney-client privilege information. What? They can do that? They aren't supposed to, but they do what wow. they want. And uh, we stood That's our like a judicial abuse. It is. A ju- it is at its finest. Uh, I mean, it's. I, I couldn't believe it. Luckily, I had put out a press release the night before. We had the media in the courtroom, and um, and they witnessed our attorney getting arrested and put in a holding cell. And the judge said, "I'm going to go through each attorney, and if you don't tell me what I want to hear, you're going to the holding cell with Mr. Sanis." And then we're going to take your clients one by one. And if they don't disclose uh, what we want to know, then we're going to put your clients in the holding cell. And you can all sit there until someone decides to talk. And um, it was it was pretty um, earth shattering that someone could do that. Was that an Arizona judge? That was an Arizona judge. Yes. Oh, 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 mercy. So, yeah. So all of our attorneys uh, refused and said, Let's, I guess we'll all go to jail together. Uh, we had media in the courtroom and outside the court, outside the court building ready for interviews. Uh, they couldn't believe it. They said, we've never thought that we would ever experience a judge uh, arresting an attorney for refusing to disclose attorney-client privilege information. And wow. finally, when everybody refused, the judge fined each attorney $5,000, filed a bar complaint against each attorney, and then we appealed that, and we won on appeal, and we actually made the law book on that one because, you know, your, your uh, right to uh, privacy of information with your attorney, attorney-client privilege, is the foundation of our legal system. You have to have that that privilege. Yeah. yeah. And so we fought everything all the way. It shouldn't have happened. It did. Um, SB 1291, I went from the beginning. I saw that SB 1499 was not being followed by the judges. The attorneys were out of control. And so I put together these, this bill with the help of uh, attorneys and some just great advisors, but I knew what I wanted was to take from the beginning of the case and make sure that people's rights were protected. So from the beginning of the case, you have the right to proper notification, which is um, certified mail. Um, You have the right to appear in the first hearing. Uh, Right now, the attorneys go into court and the appointed attorneys go into court and lie to the court and say, oh, my client waived their right to appear. And the client doesn't even know there's a hearing. They've never been served. They don't know anything is going on. And so then I have that there there must be or shall be clear and convincing evidence Mm -hmm. of a need for a guardian and or conservator before a judge can go forward with the case. Because anybody who's filing a petition, like in our case, yeah. uh, disgruntled family members and uh, file lies that we had to prove were 
not true. And that that's the opposite of, of what it should be. You should be, they should have to have evidence of any wrongdoing um, before the case can go forward. You shouldn't have to go and spend millions to prove yourself innocent. And so that what happened to that judge? Uh, that judge still ju- practicing in Arizona? No. He's uh he was removed uh from the bench, uh wow. sent to actually sent to another county. They didn't want him there either. He's so corrupt, so he retired. Uh the next judge in our case was uh just as bad or worse. And uh he ended up uh having the head judge of probate give him an ultimatum to either resign or be fired. So we did get rid of two judges in our case in Arizona and one in California. Um, with the but, California one, the one dealing with the, the Disney probate situation with the Disney yes, family? Yes. And he and was removed. Was, he, he, he was taken off the case. And, uh, wow, that's wild. How did it, that work out for the, the Disney family after that whole situation, that case went down? Did that all work out for, for you guys? Well, you know, work out is, is you know, to me is a oxymoron because you fight for 13 years to get rid of trustees who have stolen, uh, used money for their own benefit, hired PIs and investigators and press or um, um, PR firms to attack the family using trust money. Brad had so much evidence against the trustees that they should have been immediately removed until the case was adjudicated. But he wasn't protected at all by the, by the court. And it finally got to the point where my husband passed, yeah. you know, Brad's mother had passed in, in 1993. Um, I'm his only parent left. And Brad said, you know, Cher, I don't want them to kill you like they did dad. And he goes, I can't lose you. And he said, I'll just pay them off to resign. And wow. we could not get the court to give us a court date to allow us the case to go forward. This is, you know, breaking the law to the max. Um, yeah, I'd say so. so. So Brad ended up paying them $14.5 million to resign. Wow. And they committed crimes in resigning. They sold properties that were supposed to stay in the trust for the lifetime of the trust. Um, it was so vicious and vexatious and malicious. Um, you know, it, it makes you, I tell people all the time, be careful who you appoint as trustees. It's and critical. also when you set up your trust for your children, for your family, right. give the, the beneficiaries a way to remove the trustees without having uh, to go to court. That's good advice. That is, yes, because if you don't have a way for them to remove them, uh, you're stuck and you go to court and end up like, like we did. And they spent tens of millions of dollars of Brad and Michelle's money. And, you know, Brad spent over $27 million defending himself. And my husband and I spent many millions defending ourselves. and. At the wow. end of the day, we were all vindicated of any wrongdoing. Um, but you have to hire experts. You have you to do. hire forensic 
uh, accountants, um, mm-hmm. these people were just more than malicious and vexatious. I said it was just pure demonic. I've never seen such evil in my life. But then looking at the other pieces too, Mark, yeah. that I, I deal with and I sit in on hearings all the time, and it's very well orchestrated. The judge will say, to the fiduciary, well, what do you think? Or uh, <laughs> can, can uh, Deborah Driscoll live on her own? Oh, no, Your Honor, she can't live on her own. But you know what? She's actually living on her own. She's been stuck in a one-bedroom apartment. Nobody goes to visit her. Um, she gets $100 a week. And now that they've spent all of her money and sold all of her possessions and her home, they now turn her over to the state of Arizona as a ward of the state. This woman, I, you know, I deal with these victims. I go and visit them and, and get, try to get their stories out, but it's, it's horrific. And And these people come from their heirs to hundreds of millions of probably of different business foundations of families that uh, great grandfather started these organizations, companies and made millions. And then, it sounds like there's a greed of the state to take over these assets. <laughs> I don't know. That's well, kind of what here, it sounds like to me. Well, Mark, it could even be a, a, um, a veteran. I've had so many veterans come to me uh, who own their home, own their car, had their pension, had their Social Security. They were set. And one, one of the veterans <clears throat> had broken his leg and he was at the hospital. And... He said, this woman walked in and told me, I'm your guardian and you're going to be moving to a nursing home in Mesa. And he said, well, no, I'm going home. And she said, no, I'm your guardian and you're going to be going somewhere else. So what they did was they sold this condo, sold this car, took over. What these fiduciaries do is once they get a hold of you, they put their name on your property. They the title, the deed. The deed. They're in control of everything financially. And How did they, they get away with doing that without, the, <laughs> without authorization of the ownership? How do they do, pull because that out? They, once they've taken your freedom and appointed a guardian or a conservator of the person, you okay. have no rights. You have no right to own True. property. You have no voting rights, no right to drive, no right to marry, no right to decide where you live. Um you have no decision making in your life. Your rights are stripped. You you become a non-person, and once they do that, they justify appointing a conservator or a fiduciary to take over your estate or your assets. And yeah, somebody's appointed happens, by the state, correct? Not somebody who right now is appointed by the state, but in SB twelve ninety one, you have where your directives must be followed by the court. So if you have appointed your trustees, your uh, whoever would be your guardian or conservator if you needed help, the court has to um, uh, abide by your um, directives, unless there's a reason. So maybe if somebody has appointed their son, but their son is, has been uh, found guilty of a criminal offense and been in prison for theft or whatever, they won't appoint him. They'll appoint someone else. Yeah. Uh, are they? And they should ask the person who they want to appoint. But as we know, uh, SB 1291 will probably be um, t- 
totally disregarded, just like SB 1499 was. And that's why I'm appealing to uh, Congress and the Senate and to pass laws that yeah, require the state court judges uh, and all officers of the court, police, everyone should follow the law and uphold the constitutional rights of the people. Because most people don't know that there are already federal laws in place, but then you have to go to federal court and sue the judge or the state or the court when they violate. How many people have the money to go to federal court? They don't. Right, exactly. They don't. Not the average person. And if they're a victim and they've lost their freedom and control of their assets, they don't have the money to go and hire. They, they don't have the right. They're not allowed to hire an attorney. So uh, correct. you can't defend yourself. And, exactly. and to me, to strip away someone's right to recourse mm-hmm. is that's against the law. So we've, we've got a mess. We've got a, um, we've got to do something because so many families are being destroyed and their estates, even these, these veterans who, who some of them, don't have much, but what they have is theirs. They should be able to make their own decisions. And yes, if they become incompetent, hopefully they've got somebody that can help them, a family member. But my point is families should be able to take care of family members. Hmm. Families should be able to protect the family assets exactly. and not some strangers steal it. Um, exactly. And so true. Ah, okay. And for the audience, if you're just joining us, I have Cheryl Lund as a, a special guest on the podcast. Uh, she's connected with Chris Newham, Newham who is a public relations uh, media co- uh, company and also a lobbyist working with Cheryl in, or Sherry in uh, Washington, D.C. And Sherry actually comes to us from Arizona, and uh, she's uh, connected with the, uh, the Disney family. And she's got extensive background in probate and um, how to deal with the courts in this podcast and how, what to watch out for. And she's very busy helping represent various other people. She's heavily involved in politics and whatnot. So the top of the 30 minute out, 30 minute on the hour on one, let you guys know what we were talking about to introduce her to the audience. If you're just checking in at the half hour mark here. And, uh, I, you know, I was thinking, Sherry, um, I'm, in the, in the works of putting together a living trust for my estate, for my company. And I'm like, well, if I just do a living trust and put my, my siblings in there and if something happens to me, it should be okay, right? Or am I wrong, Sherry? You're the expert here. I don't know. I'm just curious. No, I I think if you, you know, with, with the way we have everything set up is, is an, an asset protection trust. So we've made mm. ours irrevocable. And that makes it harder for the for the court to come in and change anything. So we made ours irrevocable, and uh, with us being trustees and having power to appoint and remove trustees if we decide to appoint them, we can also remove them. So it leaves you with a lot of power uh, okay. over your estate. So if anything is revocable, it makes it a lot easier for the court to say, well, it's revocable. I'm going to remove your trustees 
and I'm going to appoint my buddy over here who's a good attorney in his mm. eye. Um, to in take his over, eyes. Right. To take <laughs> over your trust. And then you find that even if you had appointed your trustees, they, mm-hmm. they have nothing to say anymore. They, your family has no uh, say. They don't. They can ask for accountings if they're beneficiaries. But what's happening is these um, trustees and fiduciaries are not only not filing their yearly reports with the court, they're refusing the beneficiaries any accounting. So uh, when that happens, you know there's something wrong. If they're not doing dirty. anything wrong, it is. If they're not doing anything wrong, they would hand over that accounting. Mm-hmm. And um, I have seen uh, bills from these um, fiduciaries where they'll charge $30 to open an envelope, a bill, a gas bill. And then they charge, you know, $50 to pay the bill. So every little move they make, they're billing this estate. And then they have four or five people in their office that they put to work. And the charges are outrageous. And most of them aren't even founded. You're wondering where in the where in the world are they pulling these numbers from and billing people for, you know, and, and my big peeve too is that when someone, a fiduciary goes into your home by law, within so many days, they are required to file an inventory of all of your belongings. Mm. They don't do it. And that's where things disappear. We have one case manager here in Arizona who had a fiduciary company that was closed down by the state because they were stealing and defrauding the court. And yet this woman is now a case manager and she has had nurses go to people's home. Uh, For instance, a nurse told me, I was told to go to this woman's home, take her four carat diamond ring down to a jeweler on camelback, have them put a cubic Z in it, take it back to the woman and bring the diamond to the care manager. She said, I realized I didn't want to be a part of this, so I quit. And when she said she was going to quit, she got threatened. And so the the crime ring is, you know, it is, it's kind of like the mafia. You want to, you want to steal jewelry, just go into somebody's home, take what you want. One victim who happens to be a personal friend of mine, her mother, uh, I've known them for 36 years, but her mother had a lot of jewelry and cash and and they went in, the fiduciaries wore blue gloves that they piled up against the front door inside, but they went in and they took all the jewelry, furs, art, money that her mom had, uh, cash, and when the family asked about it. We don't know what you're talking about. There's no accounting. So it is a license to steal. And the fiduciary board is is overseen by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of Arizona, Supreme Court of most states oversees the courts, the fiduciary board, the state bar, the Judiciary Commission on Performance, and they all cover for each other. So you could file a complaint. We file complaints with the bar. Judicial Committee, uh, the Fiduciary Board, they just uh, ignore 
the the, the uh, complaints. And if they put a, a fiduciary on suspension, which they have this guy here in town who's selling a fiduciary, Mike Vogel, he's been on suspension for a year at a time. But the park keeps appointing him to new cases, and he keeps stealing from these new victims. So right now, he's being investigated by FINRA, which is a federal agency, uh, which, you know, it's a securities fraud agency. Uh, this is what's going on, but they're so arrogant about it that, that uh, I've sat and testified in many of the fiduciary board meetings, and they have public meetings, but they tell you that they won't answer your questions. So when you ask them, why well, I ask them, why don't you turn these cases over where you've got evidence of wrongdoing, fraud, theft, perjury on the court? Why aren't you turning those cases over to the district attorney for prosecution? And they just sit there. They won't answer. But they won't turn the cases over either. So um, they don't want to be found out. No, no, because they don't want the investigation. Of course. Um, No. So we're also working with someone on on the DOJ and our Justice Department, Department of Justice, to uh, sending them information on cases. They're appalled. They they said, you know, we knew this was going on, but we didn't know the depth uh, and the level. But, you know, it's it's an opportunity when you have a court system that oversees itself. The legislature didn't know. The legislature <laughs> they said we didn't we we didn't know that what they were doing. I, that's because there's no outside oversight. Exactly. Right. 